Welcome back in to David L. Gray off code and unscripted. I got three things for you today. Let me run them down for you. The first one is that um, I guess the whole show is really about trust and distrust. For example, the first thing we're going to talk about, why don't we trust Pope Francis? Timothy Flanders over at 1 Peter 5, he wrote this essay called Dialogue with the Devil, in which he's talking about Cardinal Francisco Coco Palomero, his meeting with three grand lodges in Italy. And um, I talked briefly about this subject in one of my videos about the CIA and CIA plants and Secret Service plants. Um, but I really didn't talk about the whole thing in full. But Timothy made a brilliant point in his essay that I pointed out repeatedly made that bears repeating and echoing about what this is really about. So we're going to talk about that. The second thing we're going to talk about is the distrust we have for Pope Francis. How is that related to Tucker Carlson's review of the smash Netflix movie psychological thriller called Leave the World Behind? Um, it's a thriller that Barack Obama and Michelle produced. It stars Julia Roberts, Marcella Ali, Kevin Bacon, Ethan Hawke. Tucker Carlson called the movie's depiction of all white people being racist, as typically Obama. White people being racist at the core, even doing the apocalypse, he says. That's typically Obama, but is that what the movie was actually about? Or is it our distrust, our just default distrust of Obama and anything that he's involved with? Because he's a racist, does that therefore mean everything that he does is anti-white. We have to talk about that. My wife and I, we watched the movie last year. We really enjoyed it. And then yesterday we watched Tucker Carlson's review of the movie. And we had some conversations about that. And so I'm going to let you know about that. The third thing we're going to talk about is Jordan Peterson has become lately a charmer of Catholics, especially traditional Catholics, because of his criticisms of Pope Francis. And even recently, he was in discourse with Bishop Robert Barron and Father Mike Smith, and he was applauded at this discourse, at this panel, because of his gift of rhetoric. If you've been watching me for years, you know that I have I have a default distrust of a number of people, and including Jordan Peterson. I said a few years ago that he has monkeypox brain. Uh, I really find his Catholic grift. It needs to be checked at the door before some of you become too hopeful for another celebrity Catholic conversion. I think I can do all this in 10 minutes. I want to start the clock, but I'm not because I'm playing some clips to support what I'm saying. So I'm uh, not going to start the clock today, but the show should be long. Let's get into it now. So in mid-February, this Benedict appointed cardinal by the name of Francesco Coco Palomero, he had a meeting with three of the leading Grand Lodges in Italy. And he came away saying that we now can ask for a permanent dialogue, a permanent dialogue with Freemasonry. This is interesting for a number of reasons. One, one of the reasons I found it interesting as a former Freemason is that the meeting was with three Grand Lodges. And one of those Grand Lodges, Grand Orient, Italy, they don't even recognize the legitimate Grand Lodge by the other two Grand Lodges. So these are Grand Lodges that have been hostile to 
one another. One of them because they one of the Grand Lodges of Grand Orient admits atheists into their ranks, and that's you know that's a that's a that's against the Constitution of Freemasonry for a lot of Grand Lodges. That's why they don't recognize them. So uh, so uh, you know you had some Grand Lodges in Italy that weren't there since the Grand Lodge of the Cole. Uh, Freemasons, uh, th these are the women and the men lodges, and the women Freemasons, uh, a lot of which there are a lot in Italy. But these are the three leading. And I didn't do a whole video on this topic. I did, I mentioned it briefly in one of my topics I did about the CIA plants and Secret Service plants um, because I recognized it for what it was. It was just, just a silly distraction tactic by the Vatican that a lot of you people fell for. Um, is it get us a way to look away from all the crap they're doing in China with the globalists, with the document they're putting together on the synod and the synodality, the, the weakening of the papacy, the gay blessings. Hey, don't pay attention to that. Look over here at these Freemasons. It's a, a distraction tactic. Um, typical CIA tactic, typical secret service operation. And as I said, the Vatican um, is a, a secret service operation. And you have cardinals like Coco here who are secret service plants. We know he's a plant because he does something that plants typically do. Plants always make the most critical error at the most opportune time. The most critical error at the most opportune time. They never fail to take advantage of a crisis. They always pull the Kansas City shuffle out when they need um, us to look the other way. If you never heard of Kansas City Shuffle, here's a clip from Bruce Willis in the movie Lucky Number Slevin. Charlie Chaplin entered a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest in Monte Carlo and came in third. Now that's a story. This, this is something else. So that's a Kansas City Shuffle? No. It's just the inciting incident catalyst this is a Kansas City shuffle they look right and you that's the Kansas City shuffle and we know that this whole thing is impossible there cannot be a permanent dialogue with Freemasons the church has never changed their teaching on Freemasonry for hundreds of years it's been this it's more dogmatic are teaching against Freemasonry, the ban against Freemasonry. It's more dogmatic that you cannot be a Catholic and Freemason under the pain of excommunication, meaning you cannot receive communion, you're excommunicated, you have to go to confession, than any other teaching um, outside of the creed is, I think. Um, for example, it's more dogmatic than what, um, you know, you guys thought the death penalty was dogmatic, right? Uh, you say, oh, this is a teaching of church, it's dogmatic, it's you know, been around for hundreds of years, this and that. Oh, unlike that, the teaching against Freemasonry has been dogmatically defined by popes and uh, papal bulls and encyclicals. Uh, it's been in canon law, um, and it's always been universal. That's the most it's the most powerful characteristic. It's straight, unlike the death penalty. It was universally applicable. Um, the death penalty never was. Uh, priests were not allowed to give people the death penalty. All right, that's how we know it was never universally true. In fact, it's not true. Truth is universal, is applicable to all people. For example, saying that marriage is for man and woman, that's all people. It's not just a category of people, right? So, but the, you know, the thing on the death penalty is just for a category of people. Priest, you guys can't kill people. Joe, over here, you can, right? Um, truth doesn't work like that. Truth is all good for all.
Um, it's a universal good. Such as this teaching against Freemasonry is a universal truth. Um, but Flanders, I, I found fascinating, Timothy Flanders in his dialogue at 1 Peter 5, in his essay, Dialogue with the Devil. He made a, a brilliant point at the end of his essay, saying, but words are just that, mere words. He says, actions speak louder than words. But do we really have to remind people that, he asked? And this pontificate is all about undermining doctrine by means of pastoral practice. Really good job, Timothy. This is a point I've made for the last 10 years. That Pope Francis has not, he has not come to change Catholic dogma because he cannot. What he's come is not to change Catholic dogma, but to change Catholic culture. Because if you can change culture, you can weaken the dogma to the point that it disappears in the hearts and the minds of the faithful. That's how you weaken and water down the faith by changing the culture, making it very secular, right? getting people to rely on government, vaccines, anything but Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and you can do that um, easily by um, practicing with your actions something other than what we believe. So never pay attention to the words that they're writing um, in, in their cyclicals, their apostolic exhortations, anything. Right? Pay attention to their actions. Who are they appointing as bishops, cardinals? Right? Pay attention to who they're meeting with. Right? Pay attention to the things that they're doing to make the culture very secular. Right? That's how you weaken the faith. If you want to distract Catholics away from what you're doing, it's easy. Just pull up Kansas City Shuffle. Say, uh, give glowing reviews of yoga or Freemasonry. Right? And Catholics, especially traditional Catholics, will lose their mind. Why? In the case of Freemasonry, you know, guy Leo Taxo, you can read my book, The Catholic Catechism on Freemasonry. Um, the big one, the little one, or you take my master class on Freemasonry, all of which you can find at St. Dominic's Media. Um, I talk a lot about Leo Taxo. He's a fascinating character. He came along about 200 years ago or so. And he made a grift off of Catholics, telling them all these weird things about Freemasonry, such as there's degrees within degrees. Or he said, and he said, um, oh, only the Freemasons at the top know the real secrets and stuff like that. Things that you still hear today, right? Um, and he made a lot of money, right? So from Leo Taxo all the way today, the Dr. Taylor Marshall in his book, Infiltration, a bunch of really just myths that makes a lot of money. Why? I think Catholics, just for a number of reasons I talked about, just have this innate fear, right, of things that are unknown and seem hostile and that are hostile. And, and so we sort of um, exaggerate the hostility in a sense to grift off of it, to make money off of it. Something that's true that the church teaches, we add on to, right, kind of like the secular environment, add on to Christmas and Easter, make it grift make money off of it as a former freemason i get it all right i used to get tickled by what y'all thought of freemasons all right and there are a few people in the world who are more deeply entrenched into freemasonry than i was i was a person who freemasons called an expert on freemasonry i was made a fellow into masonic research societies i was an editor associate editor of some publications grand lodge officer flew around the world speaking 
on Freemasonry. So I was an expert on the subject. I didn't pay too much too much attention to what we call anti-Freemason said about Freemasonry back then, but I knew I was pretty well aware of what they were saying was hilarious. I thought it was comedy, especially this use of the word Freemasonic that you still see Catholics using they didn't even real word. And that's always whenever we saw the word Freemasonic, <laughs> it was just it's something that we always laughed at because it's not a word. All right. Um, so it can win a lot. Oh, they're making up this weird stuff. They're also making up words, right? So as a Freemason, I found that I had a stronger argument against Freemasonry than these anti-Freemasons did. Because I was, as a Freemason, I was calling Freemasonry religion. That's the point, again, that I bring out in my book, The Catholic Catechism on Freemasonry. I expand it more because I understand more about how Freemasonry is a religion now that I'm a Catholic and I understand the sacraments. Right. But in, in light of everything that's evil going on in the Catholic Church, everything that's evil that's coming out of the Vatican and all the secret service operations they're running, you have to be able to recognize, my friends, my house in heaven. You have to be able to recognize distraction tactics. If you don't, you get killed. It'll be Kansas City shuffle on your neck. You don't think they study you. You don't think they know who you watch and who you listen to. <laughs> you don't think they've written papers on you. They've written agendas. They have a whole tactic. They have plans about how to get you to look the other way. Don't be so easy for them to distract or you'll die. Stay focused. But we distrust Pope Francis, don't we? Because through his praxis, he hasn't earned our trust, has he? He can do the greatest thing, right? And we'll all view it with great suspicion. He'll even consecrate Russia, right? Uh, did he? R really? Right? I get it, right? Another person like that in our, in our social sphere is former President Barack Obama. I mean, he and Francis have a lot in common. Perhaps the worst pope in the history of the church and perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States. It depends how you rank Barack um, Joe Biden. Everything Obama did was gay. Everything was about the Skittles. And everything Francis does is about the Skittles. So I get why Tucker Carlson went into the review of the movie leave the world behind with great suspicion. The Obamas produced it. It must be evil. It must be about Skittles. Here's a clip from his review. Barack Obama's been out of office kind of a long time now, and because we don't see him every day, it's become really obvious to a lot of people that the whole Obama thing was based on race hatred, anti-white hatred. That's how he got elected, from white guilt and anger at white people. And that's how he maintained power. And he stoked it, of course. And a lot of people didn't see this coming. Obama seemed like the kind of person who could bring the country together, our first half-white president. He could probably see both sides of the race question. But no, he saw only one side, and it's hate-based. And so it shouldn't surprise you that now that he's a Netflix producer, along with his hate-addled wife, Michelle, he's producing more racial division in the form of scripted dramas. The latest is called Leave the World Behind. It's a fictional thriller about the collapse of technology and what humans would do with no phones or computers. The movie follows a family on vacation at a rental house, and one night they're visited by a father and a daughter who show up 
seeking shelter. They say their phones no longer work and they need a place to stay. So immediately the white family, because they're evil, that's encoded in their DNA, of course, is suspicious of the visitors because they're black. <sighs> and it goes on and on and on like this. Here's a clip. I'm asking for you to remember that if the world falls apart, trust should not be doled out easily to anyone, especially white people. Even mom would agree with me on that. Yeah, especially can't trust white people. You know, so I'm with Tucker, Carl said, 90% of the time. I think he's very smart. He's very intelligent. He asks all the right questions. Well, he typically does, right? He's a, he's a big thinker. He thinks outside of camp and cult activity. He challenges conventional wisdom. He's a lot like myself, right? So I admire him for that way. And he's typically honest. A lot of times he is, right? So I'm a big fan of his. I love people who push back against conventional wisdom because conventional wisdom is usually wrong, especially in our secular society. <clears throat> but what Tucker doesn't tell you about this movie is that Amanda, who's played by Julia Roberts, and G.A. Scott, who's played by Marshall Ali, come very close to having sex in this movie. That's how racist the Obamas are. They made this uh these plots where these people of different so-called races these social constructs are about to have some fornication with each other um julia roberts and marshall ali and her husband and um jay scott you know that's marshall ali's character jay scott his daughter and um uh, amanda's husband they're also you know flirting with each other and her husband is looking at her like a piece of meat so that's how racist this whole thing and but what Tucker also doesn't tell us, he's not honest about, it, is that the reason why Amanda's suspicious about Jay Scott and his his daughter, um, Ruth showing up in the middle of the night, because they don't have any ID, they don't have anything to prove that they live in this house. They have no pictures of them in the house whatsoever. It's the middle of the night. Um, so uh, Amanda and her husband Clay, yes, they rented this Airbnb, but they never had any audiovisual contact. So there's no nothing. I was even mad at her husband Clay when I'm watching this about him wanting to let these people win. What? Who? I would have told these people go sleep in your car. It's very nice. It has a lot of space. Get out of here. We rented this place, and we don't know who you are. Right? Um, that's that doesn't have anything to do about race. I, I don't care. These people were orange, white, blue, purple, whatever. Bye. <laughs> You know, you're not going to, no, you're not coming in and have kids in this house. So, also what Tucker doesn't tell you that, yes, G. Scott's daughter seems to think that Amanda's prejudiced, you know, for these reasons. There's assumption, oh, you won't let us in because we're black. Right? I, I think that's the energy, definitely. But, um, what Tucker doesn't tell you is that there's a lot of hints that, uh, that Ruth is of mixed race, that Jay Scott's wife is white. She's away, she's on a plane somewhere, but there's a lot of hints in this movie that she's a white woman. Um, and, and one of them is, uh, well, he fits the profile of, you know, a typical black Eastern, uh, East Coast man who would be married to a white woman. And again, his daughter looks mixed and he's very attracted to Amanda. Seems to be his type, right? That's how racist this movie is. Right. Um, uh, it, it, it's it, even um, Amanda's um, son. He's very attracted. You know, the dad and the son are attracted to Jay Scott's daughter. Right. And again, uh, Amanda doesn't give away anything that she has a problem with that whatsoever. So but yes, there's some palatable tension between Amanda and Ruth. Uh, I, but 
It doesn't mean it's racist. It doesn't make the movie. You know, I really like the movie. I thought I thought it was a great movie. Um, spoiler. The movie is called Leave the World Behind, but the irony is that they cannot leave the world behind. The whole movie is about the pursuit of comfort, even in um, this situation when the world seems lost, the pursuit is still comfort. The human pursuit doesn't change. We want comfort. All we humans want is our technology and our comfort. Just give it to us. We'll be happy. We'll do anything to find it. As a theologian, I'm always looking at things. I'm always doing theology. That's what theologians do. Even lay people or people without former degrees. We always should be about the work of doing the theology, of understanding God through every situation, through everything. And movies is a fascinating way to do that because it shows, this movie shows all the human tendencies of the wounded human nature. Uh, we're always searching for comfort, but we're always searching for it outside of him who is peace. Great movie. Check it out. Yeah, but look, I get the default is trust. I do. Either, either it was with Barack Obama, whether it's with Pope Francis. I get it. I'm not immune to it. I have default distrust with a few people one of them is with jordan peterson remember a few years ago i don't know if you remember if you've been watching me you have you know i said the guy has monkey pox brain uh you know for spitting out this gobbly goop the whole video of this episode is on my members only catalog but here's a clip of it it seems to me that the minimal stable requirement for ensuring the psychological health and financial viability of a child is something like a nuclear family structure, yes. minimally, right? So you need a mother and a father, or at least you need two people, mm -hmm. one who plays a maternal role and one who plays a paternal role, or that they split those. Two seems to be better than one. Now, how much of that's linked to sex, we also don't know. But some of you Catholics have fallen in love with Jordan Peterson because he seems to be your ally <laughs> because you like his criticisms of Pope Francis. Here's an interview with EWTN's Colm Flynn. So is the Catholic Church not challenging people? Definitely not. The gateway to paradise is barred by the cherubs who have swords that flame and turn every which way. Well, what does that mean? It means it's hard to get into the club, man. Anything that isn't worthy gets cut and burned away. Well, of course, that's hell. Or purgatory. There's no sugarcoating that, and that isn't what people want anyways. Young people want an adventure. Why the hell do you think they're so concerned with saving the planet? Which Pope Francis seems to be on about constantly, when he should be saving souls. That's how you save the planet, not by worshipping Gaia. <laughs> I get it. He's on our side, because he distrusts Pope Francis like us. But it all sounds like gobbledygook to me. It really does. It sounds like gobbledygook. Like in his recent panel discussion that he had with Bishop Robert Baer and Father Mike Smith. I mean, we have to conceptualize eternity in some manner because we are related to it, just like we're related to the infinite, and yet we're constrained in the present and in the finite, and there's a tension between those. And one of the errors I think that religious people make, and I think this is more on the Protestant side of things, although Catholics aren't immune to it, is, that, is to announce that if you, know, if you merely believe that Christ defeated evil, that somehow 
culminates in your complete salvation. And that strikes me as highly improbable given that we also have a fair bit of work to do and that the work itself is also relevant. And so, anyways, as I've been working through these ideas, the simplest explanation for me has emerged that the claim that Christ made is the simplest explanation for, it's the simplest explanation historically and narratively, but that's bounded by the fact that even if it's true, even though it's true, we might say, that doesn't mean we understand exactly what it means. That doesn't bother me so much because even if we accept scientific explanations, let's say materialist, reductionist explanations for the structure of existence, we still end up with unsolved mysteries. Like scientists have no idea what happened to initiate the Big Bang, for example, or even if the Big Bang happens to be true, we have no idea how DNA involved, we don't know how life came about. Like there's mysteries everywhere and the fact that there's still some mystery left at the bottom of our religious preconceptions well, it's a bother because we'd rather know, but the fact that we don't doesn't invalidate the whole system of belief. So. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Peterson. Oh, his, his gobbledygook sounds so intelligent and incoherent. Let's just clap. We didn't understand anything he said, but it sounded intelligent. What is that? I, I really can't tell the difference between Jordan Peterson and Homer Simpson sometimes. Look, everyone. Now that I'm a teacher, I've sewed patches on my elbows. I think it's great you're a teacher, Dad. So, will you be lecturing from a standardized text or using the more Socratic method of interactive class participation? Yes, Lisa. Daddy's a teacher. Simpson. Huh? Yeah, I was listening. Very funny. Oh, you were not. You were just eating a damn orange. Oh, yes, yes. To the untrained eye, I'm eating an orange. But to the eye that has brains, I'm making a point about marriage. And then Bishop Robert Barron and Father Mike Smith go on to give a, a brilliant answer to the original question that was asked in, in some of Jordan Peterson's gobbledygook. And... After they get done talking, I'm not a huge fan of Robert Barron, you guys know that, but I thought his response answer was to the question was on point. And I thought Father Mike Smith added wonderfully to it. And after Jordan Peterson hears everything they has to say, this is his response. So Does you it, think we have something difficult and important to do and that that's necessary? Have to. Right. Right. So that's us. part of the that's adventure mission, or the right. privilege. Part of that story. That's the uh -huh. privilege of it. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that, fair enough. Mr. Brown, let me turn Solve that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Some of you want to tell me that conversion is an instant. David, give it time. They're planting seeds. Look. Look. As someone who only converted to Christianity, only started believing in Jesus Christ because I was an agnostic and I literally heard Jesus Christ's voice audibly tell me, I love you. I'm here. While I was in the process of committing suicide, look. I, of anyone, I get it, right? Um, you never know how conversions going to happen, right? I'm case in point. I, I never would have considered Jesus Christ, let alone Catholicism. Are you out of your mind? If I hadn't literally heard Jesus say, I love you, I'm here, or I'm trying to kill myself. Um, 
But sometimes people are just too smart to convert, right? I mean, let's be honest about that. Some people just outsmart themselves. Um, sometimes it's smarter to grift than convert. Because you know when you're, you're grifting, uh, you, you get a chance to play everyone. Let's not act like Jordan Peterson's not a businessman. Come on. Come on. I, indulge my suspicion for... <laughs> For a moment here. It's kind of like a man who acts like he wants to marry a woman, right? He flirts at her constantly, all right? Um, but why get married when you're having sex, <laughs> right? He's getting everything he wants with the flirtation, with the grift. He gets to play the field, right? It's grifting with benefits. I think that's what Jordan's doing. And Jordan, I think he gets away with sounding intelligent because he ponders questions out loud. Because he wonders out loud, and his questions and his um his 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 musings and his out loud, uh, out loud ponderings and utterances, they sound like a guy doing philosophy on the fly. So I get it why some of you people are impressed with his his out loud rumblings and ramblings and musings. I I, I get it, right? Some of you think that's a demonstration of intelligence, right? but what if it's a grift? What if he's grifting? What if Jordan, like I said, is a businessman who understands that flirtations with various religions in some, in some ways benefits him. It makes him look like an intelligent deist, like a, um, a deist agnostic, uh, a denostic. <laughs> Let's call it that. The deist agnostic, what, what do they say? They say, well, I know God, right? But I'm not just, I'm not going to make a commitment to Christ or his church, right? Um, yeah, you know, and I know I hear some of you right now. You're saying, yeah, David, but his wife is a convert or she's converting. We've seen pictures of him at a traditional Latin mass. Look, I'm with you. I know the ratio of wives converting their husbands to Catholicism. I get it. I just don't like the public grift. It feels like a public grift to me. There's something off about it. Right? Now, think of like Candace Owens. Her husband's a Catholic. They're raising their children's Catholic. Um, and as, as many criticisms as I have of her at times, she at least she doesn't do this grift publicly. And everyone calls her a grifter, right? But she doesn't do this. All right? So whatever's going on in their relationship and their life or her conversion process is largely private. I respect that. She's thinking about it. But there's no public grift, like roping Catholics. And you always see these videos of these converts on the way to conversion, right? They make these YouTube channels. Hey, I'm thinking about Catholicism. Hey, I'm going to a Catholic church. Hey, I'm talking to a priest. And these channels, these videos get a lot of views. It's a grift. Some of these people convert. Some of them do. But it always smells like a grift to me. People making money off the faith by flirting with it. Again, the analogy of a man can't commit to a woman, right? Let me just use her for the grift, right? And so, and some of you might say, well, he's just responding to questions people ask them. He's not doing this intentionally. I don't know. He has the whole Bible series thing he does over at um, the, um, Daily Wire, whatever thing he's on. He really doesn't have to say anything, even if he's asked. He, he doesn't have to say, word, word his his uh, criticisms of Pope Francis in his way that he knows that a certain group of people will appeal to, right? Um, and, and raise his, raise him above his station, you know. 
uh, or pull um, Catholics into adoration with him. That's adoration with a lower A. Listen, I could be wrong. I'm usually not, right? I'm usually <laughs> spot on when it comes to things. I could be wrong. You know, it could be maybe my default suspicion, my distrust meter uh, of Jordan Peterson. It could be off in this one. I don't know. Let me know what you think, because that's all I know for now. This is the David L. Gray Show. Off code and unscripted. Remember that Jesus loves you and is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters, because it's all that does. See you next time.